0: Lord, your glory and your grace is what we want to continue to see now. Thank you for hearing our prayer as we just turn our eyes and turn our hearts and turn our lives towards you. Thank you for continuing to speak into our lives. Give us an obedient spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to... Mark chapter 14, the longest chapter in the book of Mark. <clears throat> if you've been tracking with us this year, you know we've been verse by verse through the gospel of Mark. And we're going to spend three weeks on this chapter as it is the longest chapter in the, in the book of Mark. Uh, celebrations are a part of normal life. You know that, I know that. Some celebrations are more significant Uh, than others Uh, 46 years ago today Gail and I committed our life uh, to a lifetime of marriage and today we celebrate in the best way possible and that's by giving glory and honor to God uh, in worship Uh, Jewish tradition is filled with significant celebrations And the greatest celebration in the Jewish tradition is what we call Passover, which includes uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's kind of like having two celebrations uh, crowded into one. Uh, It's an eight-day celebration, including the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. Uh, it's kind of like today's my birthday, and it's also my wedding anniversary. I can never forget my anniversary because I got married on my birthday. It's like having two birthdays uh, or two celebrations uh, wrapped up into one. Um, this is a great day. Details of the celebration that we know as Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, are included in Exodus chapter 12 and Numbers chapter 9. We have very specific details given for these celebrations. During the celebration feast, uh, bitter herbs were eaten in order to remind Israelites of the 400 years of slavery, the bitter slavery that they had uh, in Egypt before God led them into the promised land. They ate lamb, during this celebration because it reminded them of the, the blood of the Lamb that was placed over the doorpost and over the mantle so that the death angel would pass over the families of the firstborn son of the Israelites as God prepared them to exit from uh, Egypt. Also, we know that the bread was instructed to be unleavened We would say today without yeast because their exit would have to be so rushed that the bread wouldn't have time to rise. And so these were parts of the symbols of the celebrations that we know as Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This annual celebration is a significant celebration in Jewish life. And it's interesting that God Chose the week of the Passover celebration in order to offer the world, and that's you and me, the greatest gift that the world could ever receive. And it's almost paradoxical, it's almost strange that this celebration highlights the purpose that Jesus came into the world, and that was to die on the cross to shed his blood, to pay the price for the penalty of our sin. So that's the background to the passage that we have today. So you have your Bible open to Mark chapter 14. Let's read together verses 1 through 9. You follow along as I read along out loud. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth. And kill him, for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than a hundred denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, You can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. God, thank you today for your word. Your word is truth to us and I pray that we will take the truth of the message of your word today and let it change our life God change lives here today through the power of your word in Jesus name amen so Jesus called disciples to follow him we've seen this throughout our journey through the gospel of Mark It's interesting to me that not everyone, though, chose to be a disciple of Jesus when he walked here on this earth. Jesus is calling disciples today. We've had seniors and families up here before us representing years of achievement in school throughout the lives of every one of these students and every one of these families as well as everyone else in our audience today. There have been times in your life where Jesus has reached out to you and called you to be one of his disciples. The sad thing is that just like in the first century, not everyone chooses to be a disciple of Jesus. I pray today if you came into this room not understanding and not knowing how to follow Jesus or choosing not to follow Jesus, that before you leave here today, you will become a disciple, a growing, learning disciple of Jesus Christ. The greatest celebration in life comes to those who are willing to sell out to Jesus. The greatest celebration in life comes to those who make Jesus Christ the highest priority in life. And that's what this scripture passage is calling us to today. There are four choices that are presented in this passage, so let's look at them. First of all, some plotted to kill Jesus. We saw that in verses 1 and 2, and it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Now, this group of people that Mark describes here as the chief priest and the scribes were what's known as the Jewish Sanhedrin. There were 71 members to the Sanhedrin. They were made up of chief priests and they were made up of scribes. They were the religious leaders of the day in the first century. It would sort of be like today the Supreme Court that we have in our country in a religious sense. So why were these leaders motivated to kill Jesus? Why did they want to find the opportune time, Mark's gospel says, by stealth, in other words, to sneak up on him, secretly capture him, and take him away and and kill him? Well, there were a number of reasons. See, Jesus had boldly challenged the fundamental foundation of the lives of what were supposed to be these religious leaders. He called them out for who they were. Jesus had disrupted their leadership security and people were beginning to doubt the fact that they led to the path to the heart of God. He had revealed that Their life was really a scam. They they were supposed to be representing God to the people. And they had no personal relationship with God whatsoever. And so Jesus had called them out. He had opposed their authority and so they plotted to kill him. So these people did not want to arrest Jesus at the Passover because Jesus had gathered a lot of popular following, a lot lot of popular uh, following where Jesus had healed people, he had set people free from lives of misery, he had given them back life, a new life, and so forth. And there was a large crowd of people who had followed Jesus, and so these religious leaders were afraid of the people. The Bible says in verse 2, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. They also knew that an uproar from the, from the people might call attention from the Roman government and they might step in and just kind of smash the riot that would take place if Jesus were arrested and killed during the Passover I don't know how many of you saw the movie Gladiator, but the movie Gladiator shows a good example of the kind of vengeance that Rome took on the rebellion in Jerusalem and Israel during the first century. So the question became, what will we do with Jesus? And I have to ask you that question today. What will you do with Jesus? Students, when you take that next step that Evan was talking about this morning, your next step in life, whatever it may be, you may go into the workforce, you may go to school for more education, whatever arena that is, what will you do with Jesus? You'll have an opportunity to boldly stand for Him, or many take the popular choice And reject Him. You have a choice. What will you do with Jesus? The Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, wanted to delay their pursuit of Him because of the popular. They feared feared the people. They feared the popular uh, opinion of people. Don't let fear of popular opinion of students around you who make fun of you for wanting to follow Christ. Don't let that deflect you from knowing Jesus and following Him and making your life count for Him. So the Jewish leaders had decided they were going to wait till after the Passover to pursue Jesus, but God had another plan. God knew that this was the perfect time to reveal to the world who Jesus was. The Passover celebration was a picture of the blood of the lamb being substituted for the sin of Israel. The Passover lamb died as a substitute for Israelites who were liberated from slavery in Egypt. And every year this Jewish celebration called Passover recognized and celebrated the fact that God had substituted a blood of the lamb To cover the sin of Israel. But God's time was perfect. And God chose this time and this place for the Lamb of God, Jesus, the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, to sacrifice His blood to take away the sins of all who would put their faith and trust in Him. Is that you? Have you come to that place in your life where you have trusted the blood of Jesus Christ to take away your sin? I pray that you have. The old covenant is replaced by the new covenant. The blood of the Lamb physically is replaced by the blood of Jesus Christ physically who shed every drop of His precious blood to show you how much he loves you, but sadly, most of the world did not follow Jesus in the first century. And even sadder than that, after two thousand years of this story coming to life for you and me through God's word, many reject Jesus today. And in a real sense of the world, in a real sense of the word, continue to put jesus on that cross in the first century i mean excuse me in the 19th century there was a man by the name of frederick nietzsche who proclaimed that the age of enlightenment had eliminated the need for god and that there was no need any longer to believe in the fairy tale about jesus how sad that somebody would become so smart so intellectual so enlightened that they miss the great sacrifice that Jesus provided for you and me to pay for the price of our sin. Today, when a person is apathetic about what Jesus has done, when a person will not accept the simple message of salvation that Jesus offers, even by refusing to accept him, we literally are turning our back on him and rejecting him, just like the Sanhedrin was doing in the first century. So once again, here's my question. What are you doing with Jesus? Verse 3 picks up another choice that we have of what we can do with Jesus. Some honored Jesus, and this is the heart of the story. This is the big part of the story today. In verse 3... While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, first of all, notice that this event took place at the house of Simon the leper. You know what leprosy is? Leprosy, especially in the, in the first century, was this dread skin disease. Leprosy would eat at your skin and destroy your physical body until you died. And there was no cure for leprosy. Simon was hosting Jesus, and Mark describes him as Simon the leper. And so, obviously, Simon had been cured from this incurable disease. And we read in the first chapters of the book of Mark, in fact, in chapter 1 of the book of Mark, in the very first chapter... We're introduced to the fact that Jesus healed a leper. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, he constantly healed lepers. And so most likely, Simon was one of these lepers who had been healed by Jesus. And so to pay honor to Jesus, he hosted him at a meal in his house. And Mary interrupted this meal. She interrupted the party to honor Jesus in a most unusual way. See, Mary knew Jesus well. Mary and Martha and Lazarus of Bethany had often entertained Jesus in their house. Mary personally had a relationship with Jesus. And that set the stage for this great event that happened in her life. She had witnessed Jesus raise her brother Lazarus from the dead. Just a few months before this event. And she caught the most significant part of that event. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus explained in that setting that one day he soon would be crucified he soon would be killed and on the third day he would be raised again and mary got it she caught it when she broke into this dinner party though she was cutting against everything that culture had taught in her day she sacrificed her reputation and she risked her life when she broke into that party as a woman in the first century and interrupted this dinner party. John's Gospel describes Mary wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair. She extravagantly honored Jesus. This flask, this jar, was a family heirloom probably that Mary's family had. And she sacrificed that by breaking it to pour the ointment over the head and body of Jesus. The nard, the perfume, was worth a whole year's wage. Imagine whatever you earn in a year, taking that much money and sacrificing it to anoint the body of Jesus for his burial. What a sacrificial ministry she offered to Jesus. And she did that at the expense of her reputation. She did that at the expense of what people would do to her because of breaking the custom of her day. So let me ask you, how are you honoring Jesus with your life today? I ask myself the same question. How how am I honoring my life And Jesus, how am I honoring Jesus with my life today? There are two ways that everybody here can honor Jesus today. One way you can honor Jesus is by receiving the gift of salvation that he offers you. In fact, there's no greater way to honor Jesus than that. And additionally, there's no greater way to dishonor Jesus than rejecting his message of salvation. He died on the cross and shed his blood to pay the price for the penalty of our sin. And like Mary, we honor him when we accept that gift, when we receive him and ask him to forgive us of our sin and we repent of our sin and turn away from our sin and turn to saying, here am I, Lord, take my life and use it for your glory. There's no greater celebration in life than that. And the second is like to it. After you have trusted Him, after you have given Him your life, then the greatest next gift that you can give Him is boldly standing up and letting your life count for Him. That's what Mary did. Mary served Jesus by sitting at His feet and learning from Him and then honoring Him with an extravagant gift. Of anointing his body for burial. There is a cost to honoring Jesus. You have to be willing to cut against. Politically correct tides of our day. It will cost you maybe your reputation. Among some people who would call themselves your friends. If you make the highest priority in your life. Jesus. Jesus. So are you willing to be like Mary and honor Jesus above the political, social pressures of our day? Will you accept the challenge and make all of life about Jesus? A recent George Barna survey shows the following. In in the United States, there are 330 million American citizens today. And here's what Barna says, and I quote More than 150 million Americans in the United States say they have professed faith in Jesus. This impressive number begs the question of how well this commitment is expressed. Research shows Americans' dedication to Jesus is a mile wide and an inch deep. End of quote. How sad that over nearly a half of the people in the United States claim to put their faith in Jesus. But how is it being shown? Who really are the disciples of Jesus Christ like Mary who are willing to sacrifice everything, willing to sacrifice everything to give greatest honor and highest priority to Jesus Christ? Research shows that Americans' dedication to Jesus is a mile wide and an inch deep. I'm so thankful for Palmetto Shores Church. I'm so thankful for a church like this whose members are willing to go deep, put our roots down in God's Word, be faithful to knowing Him and loving Him and making all of life about Him, being faithful to making to being a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. I'm so grateful for our small group ministry where people love each other and care for one another and dig deep into God's truths together. You can honor Him today by trusting Him. And you can honor Him by serving Him and sharing His gospel truth with people in your family and your neighborhood, and your community. How deep is your faith in Jesus today? I pray, I pray that you'll join me in letting the roots go down deeper because of Mary's example that she's given us today. A third way that people demonstrated the way they treated Jesus, some misunderstood Jesus. We've seen this all through the book of Mark. In verses 4 and 5, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. So the account of this event in John's gospel tells us that Judas Iscariot was the culprit. Judas Iscariot was the spokesman for the opposition to Mary's generous act. His motive was self-serving. His motive was following Jesus for what he could get out of it. For money. The religious leaders of his day, we read in verse 2 were motivated by the fear of the people. Judas was quite different. He was motivated by what he could get, self-serving. Mary, on the other hand, quickly let me say, was guided by her relationship with Jesus. We said that earlier. Mary didn't mind being scolded and even persecuted for anointing the body of Jesus for His burial. But Judas, on the other hand, sold out for money. That was his motive. And we see that beginning to develop right here in this passage. Now, Jesus cared about other people. He cared about poor people. Don't get us wrong here. Jesus had a great compassion, a deep compassion for the down and out, for poor people. In fact, he spent most of his ministry... Serving poor people. But Jesus knew that the greatest area of poverty in the life of people was not material, not physical. The greatest need in poverty of people was spiritual. And that's true today. It's great to care about the physical needs of people. From the very outset of Jesus' public ministry, people misunderstood him when he he dealt with poorer people, knowing that his goal and his mission was deeper than just physical poverty. So don't fall into that trap today. Jesus had that one major mission, and that was his sights were set on the cross and the resurrection and the salvation of you and me. Abolishing hunger is great, but that's not the highest priority in life. Helping people who are abandoned and abused and serving social injustice issues is great, but it's not the highest priority. In fact, all of those issues should be fruit of dealing with the deeper issue and that's the spiritual issue and that's what Jesus was saying here. Here's the question. Is there any higher priority in your life than knowing Jesus and making all of your life about Him? Mary knew what it was like to know Jesus in relationship and make all of life about Him again don't misunderstand jesus if you follow jesus you're going to be like mary you're going to be misunderstood just count on it it's going to happen but so what if you spend eternity celebrating with jesus what's a few years here on this earth being kind of put down by people that are so-called friends or associates But there's a final way to deal with Jesus, and we see that in verses 6 through 9. Some were honored by Jesus, and this is incredible. In verse 6, Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. So ministry is important. But not over authentic relationship with Jesus. For Mary, her relationship with Jesus brought honor to her from Jesus. She gave the best that she had. And was honored for it by Jesus. She has done what she could. The implication of that, Jesus was saying, there's nothing greater she could have done for me. So let me ask you this. What are you willing to do for Jesus? Are you willing, first of all, to give your life to Him? Some of you can do that right now, today. You've never given your life to Jesus. And I encourage you, if you if you feel the Holy Spirit knocking at your heart's door, and you've never given your life to Jesus, do it now. Honor Him by giving your best to Him right now, and that's your heart, that's yourself, that's all that you know about yourself. Give it to Him and honor Him that way today. He said, "There's nothing greater she could have done." What a legacy! What a legacy. When I spend time with my kids and my grandkids, I want to give them the best that I have, the best of my time, the best of my energy, the best of my resources, because I love them that much. One day when I die and they, they look back and they remember me, what I want them to remember is the best he gave me, Ra-Ra gave me, gave me his best. That's what I want them to remember about me. And what I present to Jesus should be so far greater than that that it's not even comparable. And I challenge you to join me in giving your best to the Master, giving your best to Jesus. On June 6, 1944, many of you know the history of today, the largest sea invasion in history took place at Normandy. Not many World War II veterans are still around today. And when I see one, when I see that cap, when I see that older person who stood up and was willing to risk their life for my freedom, it humbles me. What a great honor. I want to respect the dignity of what that person did for me. Over a half of a million citizens of the United States of America died in World War II. And I honor that. I'm humbled that they would break that flask And pour that oil out for me. How much greater should my love and respect and honor for Jesus be? And then to know that one day if I give my very best like Mary, if you give your very best like Mary, the best of your time, the best of your energy, the best of your resources, and the best of your bold witness for Him, you're going to stand before Him one day just like the seniors stood before us today and allowed us to pay a little bit of tribute and honor to them, you're going to stand before Jesus and imagine, just imagine the legacy of him looking at you and saying, you did your best. You gave your life to me. You sold out for my name's sake. And today and throughout eternity, I honor you as my brother or sister in Christ. What a legacy. Can you imagine anything greater than that? Could you imagine any celebration that would be greater than that? Now I save the last two verses today for the application, so we're winding down quickly here. And here's the application: Give your best. To Jesus, Whatever that is, give your best to Jesus. He's not asking you to be somebody that you're not. Some celebrations are more significant than others. And the celebration that Mary has led us to present to Jesus is the best of all. And that's just simply giving Jesus our best. It starts by giving Him our heart, our life, admitting that we're sinners, turning away from our sin... Repenting of our sin and saying, I want to make all of my life about Jesus because I've received the gift of salvation that He's offered me. Don't miss that opportunity. But can you imagine how Mary felt when she heard these words in verse 8? She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Can you imagine Jesus saying that about you? It can happen. And the way it can happen is by trusting him, receiving his gift of salvation. And saying, okay, God, I don't have a lot to give, but everything I have, everything I am, I give to you. One of my best friends, a member of our small group, is Bobby Hugely. Bobby writes a monthly blog. And I always love to read Bobby's blog because it's always so intriguing. He, He has something in there that always just captures my attention and captures my life. This past blog that he wrote was about an African man an evangelist named Nicholas Benyu B H E N G U Nicholas Benyu was born in Africa and the story begins with two missionaries from America who went to Africa and They spent their life, invested their life in sharing the gospel in Africa. And they were not very good at what they did. They would travel from village to village sharing the gospel. And they had very, very, very little result from people responding. There was a little boy they had that helped them carry their equipment, a little African boy who carried their equipment. After a number of years of what was deemed by the mission board that had sent them to Africa... The mission board called them back to the United States because they were being ineffective in their work. They got on the long boat ride back to the United States. And when they arrived back in the United States, they were ashamed. And they were humbled because they felt like they had wasted their life. And after a few months of being back in the United States, they died. They both died. Little did they know that there was a little boy who had carried their equipment in Africa who heard the gospel and his name was Nicholas Binyu. And hundreds and thousands of people came to know Christ through the ministry of that little boy who grew up to be an evangelist who faithfully shared the gospel. You never know The effect that your life can have on one other person might be in your family, might be in your neighborhood, might be somebody that you don't even realize and remember. So I ask you today who's your one? Do you know Jesus? Have you confessed faith in him? Received Him as your personal Savior. Have a personal relationship with Him. And then are you willing to give your best? Say, God, here's my life. I want you to take it and use it for your honor and your glory throughout my life. When you stand before God one day, the school board is going to be quite different from what the world might think the school board is going to be. The school board is going to be, did you do your best? Mary did. And I pray that you will as well. God, thank you today. What a celebration. What a celebration I can just imagine. When we all get to heaven, and we realize as we stand before you that you've not called us to be somebody else. You've not called us to do the work of somebody else. You've called us to be ourselves. You've called us to trust you and give our lives to you, receive the gift of your salvation. And then you've called us to be faithful in giving our best to love you and to let you love us and to take whatever we have and whoever we are and use our life for your glory. This morning, if you're here, let's everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, but today you feel that Jesus is knocking at your heart's door. And today you want to give your life to Jesus. Nobody's looking around. I'm not looking around. This is between you and God. If you're willing to say, God, I want to take that first step. I want to give my best to you today by just simply receiving your gift of salvation. Just pray and say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I don't understand everything about your forgiveness. But I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to cleanse me from every wrong that I've ever done. And I want to spend the rest of my life living for you. If you're willing to make that commitment today, nobody's looking around. Would you just raise your hand up and then put it right back down and say, God, today I want to receive your salvation. I want to give my life to you. And Father, I don't know who raised their hand and who didn't today, but I know your spirit's moving in this room. And I pray that if... If someone has given their life to you, I thank you for that. I celebrate that today. I celebrate the hundreds of lives who have heard this message today and have given our lives to you. And I pray that for the rest of our life, we would give of our best to the Master. Give of our best to you, Lord Jesus. That's my prayer, God. I give it all to you in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and continue to worship. Thank you.